Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Views on View. This week on our panel, we have Lindsay Wardell. Hello from Portland. Steve Edwards. Steve Edwards, also from Portland. Lindsay took my from Portland, so I'm also from Portland. It's mine today. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Austin Gill. Hey, from San Diego. Dean, I still don't remember how to say your last name. Vinsky from Christchurch, New Zealand. Hey, guys. And Devlin Doldolau. Yes, guys, from Oslo. Awesome. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. Springboard offers the first online, self-paced software engineering bootcamp with a job guarantee. Become a software engineer or get your money back. You'll be mentored by a senior software engineer or a technical leader who has worked at companies like Microsoft, Intuit, and Amazon. Springboard has helped graduates increase their salary by an average $25,000 a year. Make a risk-free investment in yourself and apply now. For a limited time, use the code JABBER, unique to our podcast listeners, to get $500 off the course. That's springboard.com. This week, we're going to be talking about Gridsum. And in particular, this is a topic that Lindsay brought up because uh, you've been moving your blog over to Gridsum, if I remember right. That's correct. I had originally written my blog in Gatsby, and I saw Gridsum and wanted to give it a try. And I've been loving it. I was very happy with that decision. Nice. I'm a little curious as we get going. I've talked to a number of people about Gatsby, and it seems to have a fairly healthy community. How does it compare Gatsby to Gridsum? Because some of the things that you were talking about before sound like the things that people say about Gatsby. Yeah. So Gridsum is very similar to Gatsby. It's it's an open source framework that uses GraphQL to bring in all of its static data. As far as the community, it's not as large yet. Gridsum, I believe, started in October 2018. but the functionality is all there. It's able to build static assets, build out pages. It uses View Router for its routing, so you don't need to worry about bringing in something specific for the framework. Most of what it uses is standard View libraries. I think before we get too far along, I know that we're going to make the comparison to Gatsby probably frequently, but maybe we should talk about what Gatsby and Gridsum do or what they are. Sure. So... Gatsby and Gridsum are both static site generators. In Gatsby's case, it uses React. Gridsum uses Vue. But you build out pages um, and layouts and components, put it all together so that it looks as you want it for your website. benefit of both Gatsby and Gridsum is that it's a nice developer experience for bringing in data from any source. So, for example, if you have a WordPress website and you want to build a Gatsby or Gridsum front end for it, you can use WordPress as just a headless CMS, bring in all of your posts or your pages or anything into Gridsum, and then display that data using view in a static form. So it pulls in all that data, processes it, turns it into JSON files, and then inserts that data as the website is accessed. So the question I have then, you know, speaking specifically about WordPress, is that WordPress comes with a REST API by default. And from what I understand of Gatsby and Gridsum is that they prefer a GraphQL backend. So do you have to install like a GraphQL backend or plugin for WordPress in order to do that with Gridsum or will it just use the REST API? I believe it can use the REST API. I know when I was experimenting with Gatsby, I installed a WordPress GraphQL API and it wasn't too hard to do. Uh, yeah, no, it's not terribly hard to do. And it uses the same kinds of credentials you're used to for other systems. So. I mean, in theory, or in actuality, you can use GraphQL to wrap a REST API. You know, when you're writing your server-side functions, I'm not sure how useful that is, unless you just want to, you know, plug in GraphQL for the front end. 
developer experience on top of your existing REST API, but it can be done. Yeah, there are systems out there like, I can't think of them at the moment. Hasura, that's the one I'm thinking of. So Hasura, for example, it's made to wrap over a database, but it has plugins for you to wrap over things like REST APIs. And you can actually combine REST APIs with it to make it into one graph. And so, yeah, that's a pretty convenient way to go. So while you guys were discussing that, I just checked the WordPress plugin for Gridsum does just use a REST API. Okay. So you, so are you don't able have to, to install anything extra. You just have to nope. enable the REST API. Yeah, just point it at the base API for WordPress and then it's able to pull in everything that it needs. Nice. I've been using Gridsum for the documentation website for this new CSS project that I'm working on. And I was getting into dis- a discussion with someone at the San Diego JS meetup about static site CMSs or static file CMSs versus like REST API or GraphQL API CMSs. And the question came up, which this will kind of pertain, or you know, I'll bring it back to Gridsum, is like when I have a static site generator that's going out and fetching data and bringing it into the project, I understand that Gridsum is building out a static site. But I guess my question is like, if I have data coming in as or being stored as JSON, does that end up in my JavaScript bundle? Like it's going out and getting a blog post, let's say, and then it's just storing that static blog post content in my JavaScript bundle? Or is that, you know, you, you mentioned that it's stored on like a, in a JSON file. I'm just wondering how, what sort of performance implication that has on bundle size potentially. So I'm not sure of the implication on the bundle size specifically. I do know that when it's building all of the pages, it'll build a, a .html file and a .json file for each page. And then when it loads the first time, it loads the HTML and the JSON. And then on each page change that you do, it just pulls in the JSON. So I don't think it's part of the bundle itself. It's just doing fetches against the JSON files as it needs to. Does that help answer the question? Yeah. So it's like making a, is it like an HTTP request to get the JSON for the second page and then kind of like hydrating the content of the current page? Yeah, that's exactly what it's doing. So it loads fast because it's just a static asset. And then, yeah, you get all the view goodness after it goes and gets the JSON and, yeah, hydrates everything. Exactly. The, uh, the routing is just using the regular view router, just like everyone else building a view application does. So as you're navigating the pages, it's just pulling in the JSON files that it needs to load the next page. And I believe it does the same thing as Gatsby, where when you get to, let's say, an index page, it'll see all the other pages that you can go to and pull in those JSON files as well. So that when you click on the about page or a blog post or whatever, that data is already present in the client and it can render instantly. And then it just goes and fetches the next sets of data. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's doing some like DNS prefetching or something. Yeah, exactly. That's super interesting. I was kind of under the impression that it was like the content was being pushed into the bundle and I was like, man, that's going to like blow up the bundle size a bunch. But that makes sense that it's making a storing content in JSON and just like making that request. Um, as needed. Yeah, that's got to be good for SEO as well, right? Because page speed's becoming more and more important to Google and others. Exactly. And one of the one of the points that Gridson makes is that their applications are fast by default. In their introduction about why is Gridson great, why is it fast, they talk about how they have a really good Google Lighthouse score straight out of the box. 
I can't remember exactly what it is, but it, every point is in the 90s as far as quality. Nice. Yeah, that's one thing that I saw when I switched. I'm not using Gridsome, but devchat.tv uses Eleventy, which is another static site generator. It's just not, you know, view or react focused, right? It's just generic and it just generates uh, HTML. I mean, I don't see any reason why you couldn't put view on it, but you'd have to build the JavaScript yourself and load it into the page on your own is the difference. I think it doesn't have a good mechanism for that. But yeah, our scores and speeds went up a ton. Interestingly enough, and I know we'll get to this uh, eventually, is we moved it over so we were hosting it on Netlify. And a couple of weeks ago, I moved it off of Netlify and just onto a VPS on DigitalOcean. And our speeds almost doubled again. And so just, just running it on our own server infrastructure made a huge difference. And so it's fast on its own. And it's super fast if you can get it on um, you know, better hardware, better uh, infrastructure. That breaks my heart. I'm literally wearing a Netlify shirt right now. I know. I love Netlify. I love them a ton. And I moved it off when they made the switch to charging you for build minutes and things like that. Because uh, I was getting a build minutes package like every few days because we just update it all the time. And so I moved it off to save a little bit of money and it sped it way up. And I was like, oh, because <laughs> I wanted it to be easy and kind of the best way to do it in all aspects. And it, it wasn't, but it was definitely fast enough. I mean, we, we got a huge boost on our SEO just out of the speed that we got moving it off of WordPress and onto Netlify on a static site. Yeah, well, nothing wrong with DigitalOcean. They're still pretty great. It'd be nice to see, like, I'm sure it's out there. It'd be nice to see a tool that just, like, it's like a Docker image that you set up on DigitalOcean nice and easy and does the same thing where it tracks changes automatically with a GitHub or a Git repo. Oh, that'd be interesting. You could actually extend that to the other cloud providers too, right? So you put it on Azure or Google Cloud Platform or AWS or some of the others too, right? You just pick your... Docker cloud cluster, whatever you're going to run it on. And then, yeah, just have it auto-build and auto-deploy. And you could even just get away with doing that on a cron job or something. Yeah. So now we're way off topic. To bring it back in, I'm using uh, Zapier, which I used as a pick before, Mm -hmm. um, to rebuild my website every week. One of the things that I do on my website is I just show what I'm currently working on on GitHub. So I'm just pulling in like my top six latest commits. Right. Side note, I wrote a plugin for Gridsome. Uh, one of the benefits of Gridsome is being able to write plugins that tie into that GraphQL API. So I was able to tie straight into GitHub. I write my GitHub uh, API v4 query, and then it just pulls in the data for me. I just have to provide it with a with a token so that I can get through the uh, API. Um, right. But your token and all of your secrets are managed on the back end, so they never get published. It's just the exactly. yeah. finished product that gets put out there. Right. So what I'm able to do there, because I'm using Zapier, is I just have it scheduled on Sundays at noon, my website rebuilds. And I don't have to worry about uh, setting up a cron job or scheduling anything beyond that, uh, because Zapier integrates directly with Netlify. Mm-hmm. So that yeah, was actually going to be... set it up before. You can set it up to run like every hour, is what we were doing on DevChat. Yeah, I don't commit enough to GitHub for that. Yeah. See, I have a team that's updating show notes and stuff all the time, so... That makes sense. And when I moved it uh, over to the server, I just have the server run the build every hour. So it's the same deal on a cron job. Nice. That was going to be my question, um, just around getting content in. You have to rebuild your site in Gridsome each time you want to add new content. Is that right? 
So you can do things like use Axios to make client-side HTTP requests still. But if you're wanting static rendered assets or data, then yes, you will have to rebuild it every time. Okay, great. And then Chuck mentioned SEO um, before, and I know that SEO has gotten way better with JavaScript, but is that still a sticky point? Or because I'm assuming obviously JavaScript has to be running for it to be able to run as a spa. How does it handle SEO? Does that work well? That works pretty well. One of the benefits of being a static site is it's just rendering HTML for the uh, the bots to read, and then it hydrates into a full view application. So it's all of the content in the HTML file is there for it to parse and read for SEO purposes. Oh. Okay, so that's what I misunderstood earlier. You mentioned that it generated HTML and JSON for every page. So when you go straight yeah, the- to a page, it's doing just the HTML. Correct. And then the JSON is being brought in for subsequent pages. Okay, great. I I misunderstood that. That's great. Yeah, the reason that that matters is that it used to be that however long it took for it to get all the static assets and load the page up was your page speed. But now it actually documents how long it takes your JavaScript to run as well. And so by having a straight up static page that loads up and, you know, it's telling Google when it gets it, this is all you need you get a much faster page speed because it's not counting the time that it takes you to hydrate the page against you. That's very interesting. Everything is static, right, Lindsay? This is, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking of the comparison with, with this, Gatsby Gritson versus like Next Universal Mode, where, you know, you can it's actually going to server-side render but load dynamically. I mean, everything, everything you're, you're loading has been statically generated, right? Yes, that's correct. Unless you want to make a, a client-side request. Like if you were building a blog and you wanted to use some comment system that required an HTTP request to load, you could still do that. And that would be rendered on the client as opposed to static. But most content you would want to just do statically rendered. Okay, so how does it work then if you want to have something like a, a contact form? So you want to be able to, you know, you're going to have to have some, I guess, does it just do a straight HTTP post or... In a stat, this is one of the things I've been looking at when considering something like Gridsome or even just, you know, Nuxt with just a server rendered or the, you know, static generation option. How do you have like a, how does it work when you have a form or something in the middle of a statically built page or something where you need to, you know, make an API request dynamically? What I do is I host everything on Netlify. So they have the Netlify forms right, system okay. that you can use. And I just, I just pass everything through that. For my website, I built a custom comment system so that all of the comments would be saved in my GitHub repo as markdown files. So you fill out the the form, the form goes through Netlify. Netlify triggers a Netlify function, which then posts through the GitHub API into my repo. Okay, because of the Netlify forms, just to clarify for those who might not have used it, you basically have to build, if I remember correctly, a static HTML version of your form as part of your site. Yes, but if you're using something like Gridsome or Gatsby, you're already building a static form. And so as your website builds, it will find that form uh, that you have just in your view component. You don't have to do anything complicated to, to make it connect with Netlify. Okay, so how would you do a form, say, if you're not using Netlify, like in Chuck's case, you went to a, you know, a VPS or something like that? If you were on something like DigitalOcean, I would look towards Amazon Lambda function. Mm-hmm something like that. That way you don't have to need, uh, have a server running. But you okay, would so basically your you're, posting, 
you're doing a, a normal HTTP uh, post request to a URL that then grabs your data and you configure your backend to do whatever you need to with from there? Yeah, that's that's what I would do. Yeah, the other thing that you're looking at is there are actually forms services that you can run. And so you could also use one of those. I can't remember off the top of my head, but you could put a Google form in or something like that and then you know run your forms through a system like that. Okay. Okay, uh, Lindsay, I have a question here. Can you enlighten me what's happening here in the dependencies of Gridsome? Because I'm checking right now uh, the, the dependencies of Gridsome. is just Gridsome and that's it. So basically, are you, is it telling the developers so, you know, you don't have to install or add additional uh, NPM packages or YAN packages here? Just use, use what's inside of Gridsome. And, you know, like what's, what's here is like it has GraphQL Compose. Uh, I mean, a lot here. Uh, Lodash and what else? View, address, auto build, and everything. Happy Joy. So what's the structure of, of Gridsome? Why is it built like that? So when you're building a Gridsome application, they have a CLI that you can run to get everything started. And that will bring down all the dependencies that you need. Mm-hmm. And then when you're, when you're starting an application just in your terminal, you can type Gridsome create name of your site. Mm-hmm. And then it just generates everything for you. As far as any additional dependencies that you might need outside of what they install, you don't really need any if you don't want them. For my website, I installed the Google Analytics plugin. I installed the file system source so that it's able to read my file system to pull in markdown files and some things like that, in addition to Tailwind or whatever framework that you want to use for your CSS. Yeah, does it like tree shake automatically this uh, dependencies or so right now I'm, I'm, I, can, I can see like there's less than hundreds of packages here inside of this uh, grid some dependency yeah one of the things that they talk about is automatic code splitting so as you're building it it builds everything for performance for every page every single page of the website should be running as fast as possible mm-hmm. and they're not added to uh, the final output of the process of, of the the app if they're, they're uh, not in use, right? So I suppose that's what's happened there. I believe so, yes. Mm-hmm. Cool, that's nice. So Devlin, where, which package are you looking at? Uh, or which where are you seeing those dependencies? Inside of Gridsome, uh, I'm using a web domain and just, you know, tried uh, what I call this feature. It's like going into implementation, no, find it. Like the control dot or command dot, where you, it can, it will lead you to uh, what's inside of this this package, or you can go to the node modules and just look into you know grid some directory and see the the packages uh, the package that JSON file there and there's uh, you'll see the the list of the dependencies of this grid some package. Well, I, I just bring this up because I recently launched, like I said, I recently launched a, a Gridsome project. And the only dependency that I had in my package.json after having launched from the CLI is just Gridsome. Mm-hmm, yeah, exactly. Just just one. Oh. If you uh, check out the, the directory uh, from the node modules uh, folder, you oh, yeah, see a lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think most of that gets taken out in the final build. It's more for the development experience. One of the things that Gridsome focuses on is giving you a good development experience. 
So you don't need to worry about too much as you're building your website. Seems like it's like uh, batteries included. <laughs> it is batteries included. It's more opinionated than the standard Vue CLI initial project. Gotcha. So how does it compare with some of the other options like Nuxt or ViewPress or, you know, I mean, Gatsby, it kind of makes sense in the sense that, okay, I'm doing Vue anyway, so I'll probably look at something like Gridsome. But for some of the other Vue-based things... I feel compared to Nuxt, the Nuxt has a big focus on being, it has its three different modes. It has the universal mode, the PWA mode, and the static mode. And because of that, I feel that Gridsome is more focused on just the static and it's trying to provide a good experience for building a static website. When you're building a website with Nuxt, it doesn't have the same ecosystem of plugins or the GraphQL API to just bring in everything through a single API into all of the different parts of your website. So that's where I feel the big difference is with something like Nuxt because you're able to just integrate with all of those different sources a lot easier. So if you want to use something like a wordless WordPress or Contentful or Sanity.io, you're able to do that through that same GraphQL API, no matter which source you're using. I think that's the that's the big difference between Nuxt and Gridsome. Yeah, so that's like, you really kind of have to make that decision of, do I want to go static or do I want to go server rendered? Yes. I've looked at it using like Sapper with Svelte, and it, it has the same idea where it, it builds the static assets based off of a server. But you still have to bring in all of the, the data that you need. And so it relies a little more on client calls, which is what I feel a Nuxt application would do for the most part, unless you're using Markdown. I could be wrong. So the biggest issue, as I see it, between something like a Gatsby or Gridsome and Nuxt or Next or something is how often you need to update your data. You know, if it's um, maybe an e-commerce site, you know, and you're having product updates all the time, that would be like a, maybe a Nuxt in universal mode versus, you know, something like Lindsay's blog where he's only going to update it once or she's only going to update it once a week, then you only got to build once a week. So static's perfectly fine and you get all the statically rendered content uh, benefits in terms of SEO and speed. Does that sound right? I think for the most part, that sounds right. I know from Gatsby as an example, their swag store is built in Gatsby. And it's a so it's a static website that's just bringing in data. But that means that they're going to have to rebuild every time they update data. One of the first case studies that I saw in relation to a static site like this was uh, the hair, um, I think it's Flamingo, Harry's Razors, the site they did with Gatsby, and they wrote up a big case study on it. And that was one of the points that they addressed specifically in the case study was, okay, do we want to rebuild every time we change content? And that was what they decided to do um, because that was required because it's a static site. That's definitely one of the trade-offs. If you have a website that's going to be changing more regularly, like an e-commerce site, then you might choose to go with something more like Nuxt because you're able to change things that much faster. On that same vein, what I'm curious about is client-side caching of sites. Obviously, if you've got a bigger site, it's really, really useful. When you rebuild your Gridsome site, does the, the, I guess, the core of it remain cacheable by the client so that it's only new content that will have to be recached or um, does each bull do cache busting? I haven't explored that too much. I believe that each thing that changes just it would just update in the cache so I don't think it breaks the entire cache because it is separate HTML assets. That's good. 
I need to explore that a little bit more. There is a PWA plugin for grids. So you're able to do things like service workers straight in Gridsum. I just haven't explored that too much yet myself. I did it with Gatsby and it worked great. So it only brought in the changes. Um, Everything else was was just cached on the user's computer. That's awesome. And then you did mention that you can do calls like to Axios. So I guess on for a a e-store, if you had product updates less regularly, so your actual merchandise doesn't change much, could you do calls to like available stock dynamically? Yeah, you could do that because you're able to bring in the data that you need so that you know which product page you're on. You could then make the call through Axios to see how much is left in inventory or if it's still available or if there's a sale or something. Yeah, you could do that. Okay, great. But you're doing that at view time or you're making that, aren't you making that call at build time only? You could do that at, at render time with Axios. So Axios does work in Gridsome. Yeah, it's just, you have to have the two different options, whether you're doing something in the client or if you're doing something at build time. Okay, this is where I keep getting confused. So we were statically building the page and generating HTML, you know, that's, you know, you're uploading an HTML file. So do you have, does it have like some sort of vanilla JavaScript or something in there that's doing the Axios call or that's where I'm getting lost is how we're doing that live calling from a statically generated page. By that time, Vue has been hydrated into the application. So the HTML comes in and it brings in the JavaScript and then it hydrates into a full Vue a single page application, essentially. So for SEO purposes, it's just HTML. Then it hydrates, just like Nux does. At that point, you're able to use Axios because you brought it in with your bundle. That seems really powerful and pretty interesting. Nice way to like kind of mix static, statically generated with some dynamic content that won't affect SEO. Yeah, there are some gotchas to the whole like static site or server rendered site is not isolated to just Gridsum or even just view, but things like, let's say, yeah, we take that example of I have a store, right? And I have some product and therefore I have inventory that I have to manage. So you can build your project statically and just, you know, list out, let's say the, all of the, the list of all the products I have, because that doesn't change very often, but then I have to manage my inventory on demand. So I can't run that at build time, right? I, I'm relying on, client side API request to say, well, how many of this product do I have in stock, right? One of the challenges you have is because you have things running at build time, you don't have the DOM environment available at build. So you're doing things on the server, whether it's your computer building it or some remote server building it like Netlify. So things like uh, anything that, that requires the window object or the document object, you don't have that available. And so you kind of have to work around it by using like the mounted lifecycle hook. So it sounds really great. There are some challenges. You also like don't have access to a lot of things like this.router or this.route, whatever, immediately. So just, just some gotchas to be aware of. Yeah, I've, I've had a, a gotcha where I tried to access local storage, which works fine in development. And that's one of the, the gotchas there. All those things that use window or something work fine in development, but as soon as you build, it fails because it's running in Node at the time. Yeah, so with this being a problem across multi, like many uh, JavaScript server-rendered libraries or tools, does Gridsome offer any sort of solution or feature that kind of helps developers with this? 
I haven't seen one, no. I think their main thing is the same advice that Gatsby gives of just be aware that what you're writing will eventually build a node. I tend to do a wrapper to check if process.browser exists uh, before I do anything like that that I need to. That typically works. Process.browser, browser. I've never seen that. That's helpful. Thank you. So one thing I want to kind of uh, back into a little bit is we've talked about GraphQL mostly, but the CMSs that I'm most familiar with typically will allow you to use like a Git-backed system that you push markdown files into and then it renders those into HTML. And it looks like Gridsome does that. Can you mix and match those so that you say, well, if it comes from a markdown file or it comes out of an API or it comes out of WordPress or it comes out of GraphQL, build all of them. Yeah, you can bring in things from multiple sources. So I've been working on a website for a clinic, a doctor's clinic that I work do some work for. And I have three or four different sets of markdown files that need to render on different pages. So in the gridsome.config.js, that's where you describe all of the different plugins. So I say I'm using the file system source. This is my path. This is the type name. And then I do that two or three times saying this is the different kind of content that's coming in. So you could do the same thing saying I'm getting this content from WordPress. I'm getting this content from Contentful. I'm getting this content from Markdown Files and just render it as needed on each page. So they don't necessarily need to incorporate into a single, this is my content type. It can be separate types as well. Gotcha. Do you have to create a different renderer or different guidelines for each kind? Or if they all have the same fields essentially to them, can you tell them all to use the same set, same template? I believe what Gridsome does is it, it pulls the, the data in and then it just sees what fields are available in that data. So for example, in my markdown files, I'm pulling one up right now. So I, I have in the in the front matter, I have path, date, title, author, tags, and then the content of the markdown file itself. So it just reads the file and sees which fields are available. And then it just makes those available inside the GraphQL API. So I would assume it does the same thing, whether you're pulling from markdown or WordPress or contentful or whatever. Right. And then it just has some hydrated object that it says, put the title here and whether it came from one, the other, or the other, it's just a content object that has a title and so it just works. Yeah, when you're pulling in data into a component, there so there's two different calls you make. And with Vue, normally you just have the template, the script, and the style in mm-hmm. as your root bits. Gridsome adds an additional one. If it's a page, then you have a page query. And if you're in a component, then you can do a static okay. query. So for a page query, you just, you then inside those brackets, you're just doing a regular GraphQL call. So you say query, and then you can say all posts, and you get down to the title that you want. And then you can either iterate through that, or you can specify a particular post and get the title from that one. Right, that makes sense. So the other question I have is with 11D, the way that you you pull pages together is you have HTML templates that you can pull into your page. I'm assuming with Gridsum, you create components and then you just use it the same way you would use Vue. And then when it statically renders, it just puts that component in place. Yes. So in the base Gridsum page, you have the components folder, which is just for your regular Vue components that you'd use like a header object or something. You have the pages, which are the components that actually get rendered into an HTML file. So I have blog.view, index.view, you can do an about.view, 
whatever. That would be when you go to the website, the, in my case, lindsaykwardell.com slash blog will take you to the blog.view page component. And then you have templates. So in my case, my template is just post.view. In the uh, gridsome config file, you define your templates and you say the type. So in my case, post, and that's the same name as the template file. And then the path that it would go to. So mine would be slash blog slash path. Right. And then, yeah, it just statically renders all of the pages off of that template that match the post type. Makes sense. But then if you had some like email sign up or include this Google form or some of the other things that we talked about here, you could set up a, a template for that as well that just gets pulled into the page as a regular view component would. And you just have things set up so that it just drops that in place where you want it. Yeah, that would be a regular view component. So for example, I have on my website, the menu content, and that's, that's just a component that renders on each page. Right. But you don't have to do anything yeah. special to that. You just use it as you would naturally a view component. Exactly, yeah. With all this content that you're pulling in from all over the place, I know that... So Gritsum is using GraphQL. I know GraphQL is like a strictly, strictly typed language. So are you having to kind of go in and write a lot of GraphQL schema to get it all hooked up and be able to write your queries for content coming from local markdown files and content coming from your WordPress API and whatever? No, they give you the option to do that if you need to. But for the most part, it's able to derive what it needs because it's pulling in the data first before it generates the GraphQL API. It parses it to see what kind of data it's looking at. So in the example of my blog, it sees this field, this field, the date, and then it gives me options because it's a date, or this one's just a text field and it gives me options based on a text field. So it, it's able to derive that. But there is APIs, there are APIs available if you need to write your own or if you need to incorporate data or match data inside the GraphQL API. So if you bring in some data and you wanted to make another piece of GraphQL data like a child of that, you can do that in the grid some config file, but typically you don't need to. Interesting. So I guess the other thing that I'm wondering about is writing grid some plugins, right? So it sounds like just using a plugin is pretty self-explanatory. Do you want to talk about that process and then we'll talk about building a plugin if you don't have what you need? Sure. So in order to use a plugin, first you, Gridsome has a page on their website that lists all of the plugins, and they are pulling that straight out of NPM. In a minute, we'll talk about that. You can just download any of the plugins that you need straight from NPM and install them in your application. And then in your Gridsome config file, you just list out, there's a, a plugins array, and you insert the required configuration to bring in each plugin. Every single component or every single plugin is going to have a use field. So for example, use Gridsome plugin TypeScript, use Gridsome source file system, things like that. And then they have options underneath it. So there is a Sentry plugin, Gridsome plugin Sentry, and it has an options field to accept the DSN that Sentry provides. And each plugin is going to have its own options. They can be more complicated, less complicated. But all you have to do is put that into the plugins array in your Gridsome config. And then when you run either Gridsome develop or the build command, then it will just bring in those plugins and apply them to your application, as long as they're properly configured, of course. If you don't see a plugin that you want, they have a guide on 
what to do in their docs. I believe it's called how to create a plugin. And they just explain, do you need something that doesn't exist? Here's what to do. And they give some naming schemes. So if you're wanting to add a source, so if let's say Contentful didn't have a source plugin yet, they would say, name it Gridsome Source Contentful. In the example that I wrote, I, I called it Grid, Gridsome Source GitHub API. And all you need to do to build a plugin is access the Gridsome server APIs, which they all list on their website, and just bundle it into a single file and put it up on NPM. For example, they have API load source, create schema. The create schema ones were if you wanted to build your own GraphQL schema. Again, typically I haven't had to use that. I did experiment with it when I was building my GitHub plugin, but in the end I didn't need it. And there's a bunch of other uh, APIs that you can use to build plugins under their API reference guide. One of the most popular pairings for Vue on the front end is Laravel or PHP on the back end. If you're setting up and running a PHP app, then why hassle with all the back end config? Instead, count on Cloudways. Cloudways provide the solution that will have you up and running quickly. They offer exceptional performance and reliability and 24-7 support. So your website or your web app, which is probably crucial to your business, will run in an environment designed for it. Go run it on Cloudways. If you use the code DEVCHAT, you'll get 30% off for three months. So the CMS that I use for my personal site right now is called Butter CMS. I don't think there's one out there for that yet. I haven't really looked. I'm looking through the page that you're talking about, and I believe to be able to pull from there to use their API, we create a source plugin that uses their data store API. Is that correct? That sounds right to me, yeah. For the GitHub plugin that I wrote, all I do is I take in the query that a user is wanting uh, to hit against the GitHub GraphQL API. I send that query out to GitHub, I take the data back, and then I return it, and it gets inserted into the GraphQL schema. And so at that point, Gridsome does all its parsing to determine what data types it's dealing with. So I would imagine it'd be just something similar. What was it called? Butter? Butter CMS. Butter CMS, yeah. So I would imagine it's the same idea. You just query against it, pull the data back, insert it into the GraphQL for Gridsome. I'll tell you, that's how I like to eat bread with butter and jam. This is a butter CMS and jam stack. Just kind of went through my head. Sorry. I like that. You must be hungry, Chick, right? Yeah, and I just started keto again, so the only thing in that list that I can have is the butter. So, One thing to keep in mind as I was writing the, the plugin, this was one thing I found, there isn't a way to add a single point in the GraphQL schema at the moment. So if you want to add a list of items like posts or comments or pictures or whatever it is you need, that's really easy to do. But if you want to add a single point, I had to add it to the metadata for the website. So I'm adding a metadata field of GitHub data where all of the GitHub response is going. Hmm. It's just a minor thing, and I'm sure it will be addressed. I'm planning on reaching out to them. I just haven't filed the bug report yet. In Gatsby, they allow that. So I don't see why Gridsim would not. I'm not sure I understand. So you have your GraphQL schema, and you have, you're extending your query or mutations. It's not letting you extend your query or a type definition? So... The way that they work to add to the GraphQL schema is they allow you to create groups. Uh, forgetting what the term is that they use. Sorry. Add collection. oh, collections. There you go. So the example they give is like add collection author, add collection post. And what this does is in the GraphQL API that they have in your view application, you would then have access to a single author if you give it an ID. 
or an mm-hmm. all author collection that you can then go down through the edges. So it'd be like edges node and then the data. So you're not able to add just a single node straight onto the API. So you can do like a query author. You couldn't just be a single author. You'd have to have a collection of authors. So what I did for the, the GitHub APIs, I just added it onto their metadata object, which they allow. So instead of accessing it with just like query GitHub data, it's query metadata GitHub data. Just another gotcha. And it's something I'm sure that will get addressed. Yeah, one thing that I've had to do with Eleventy, this kind of brings this to mind, is so I have data collections, right? And then I have JSON objects or JSON files that have the data for each podcast. I have JSON files for authors, hosts, and guests. And yeah, that's something that I've kind of been thinking about if there's a better way to do that. But I'm wondering, with Gridsum, do you have some way of doing that? So it's not a post per se, but it is... I guess, for lack of a better term, metadata that's going to inform how your page is built or what data is shown based on keys that you put into your front matter or into your GraphQL backend. So you're just wanting to bring in the data and then display it in a particular way, not as a front right. page. Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, you can do that. For example, with my website, I have posts and I have comments. They're both markdown files. The comments are tied to a particular post. And so I, in the post template, I then use the, the ID that was provided from Gridsum and then query all of the comments that match that same ID so that it's coming in with the same post. So if you had, let's say, a show called Views on View and you wanted to display information on your hosts, you'd be able to do that perfectly fine. Does that answer the question? Yep. And then you just create a component for host and then you just drop it in as many hosts as you have and it pulls the data out of there and fills it in. That's what I would do. I have a question uh, going back to like, if you could walk through an example, going back to some of the gotchas, how would you approach something like a page that requires user authorization or user authentication, like a a profile page, right? Like I have a, you have your, your website and I can comment on your website, but I can only comment if I've already logged in. And once I, once I have an account, then I can go and you know, change my name at my profile, but I don't want other people to be able to see my profile, right? How would you approach that? So for authentication, just to log in, I would have a serverless function either on Amazon or Netlify to provide that authentication, or I would have a full authentication service uh, depending on the needs. Netlify provides one in the Netlify CMS. Yes. And then I would just store that either in local storage or a cookie depending on your preference. And then... In the Gridsum application itself, I would have that flag to see if, in, in the example I gave, if process.browser exists. So usually what I do is if bang process.browser, don't do it. Otherwise, go ahead. And then I would, I would just grab the, the cookie out of, let's say, local storage for simplicity. Grab it out of local storage, pass it up to verify the user, get the user data. That would all be done on the client side instead of static generated, of course. Mm-hmm. But then you're still providing that authentication layer and you just have the pages set up, this is where you're able to change your user information. And it verifies that you're logged in and correctly authenticated on the comments field before it allows you to actually provide any comments. So there, there are two levels to this, right? So one is commenting or whatever. So it, you know, it either shows you the form or doesn't and then authorizes you on the back end based on these cookies or, or you know, however you set up the session. 
if you're just uh, managing access control to like a profile or a video or something like that, you actually can't or you don't really want to embed that in the HTML and then have your membership stuff hide it because somebody can go in and just disable the JavaScript that hides it and then they've got it. So instead, what you wind up doing there is you wind up having a backend call that fetches the data or fetches the video URL or fetches whatever else and then drops it in once it's verified that they're authorized. And you can do all that stuff with Vue. That's exactly it. So you kind of render like the profile page would be a statically rendered, just kind of an empty div sort of thing, or you get some sort of flash of unstyled content while I go to my profile. And then if I'm authenticated, it does a client side request. The authentication comes back and says, yep, this is you, brings back the data, and then renders the profile page. Yeah, so you would have some user experience thing that says either authenticating or you're not authorized to see this or something like that until it verifies whether or not you can see it and then it loads the appropriate content either nope or here it is. Yeah, yeah, that's always like the weird thing about the static sites or client rendered sites is like you kind of get that initial flash of while it's making the request to get the user or whatever. Well, and it feels funny trying to do a static site and then dynamically load the content in if they have access. For something like that, especially if it's on a back end and I don't really care about some of the benefits like SEO or site speed or things like that, it just has to be kind of be fast enough or good enough because they've already paid and they're in and they want it. I would probably just opt for a WordPress or something like that where it just kind of does it all natively, naturally. But that's not to say you can't do it. Yeah, and one of the things Gridsome does talk about is how you can build a standard application in Gridsome if you wanted to. You just have to work around some of those things. So if you wanted to do full authentication in a Gridsome application, you can. It's just, like you said, less straightforward. Yep. Oh, Lindsay, is there a pending feature uh, on the roadmap of Gridsome that is worth waiting? You know, I was looking for something so that I could share something like that. I could not find one, unfortunately. Their blog has not been updated since October last year. Oh, wow. So long ago. And that was talking about infinite load. So most of the time, they just introduce new versions. It looks like version 0.5 came out in February, 0.6 in May, 0.7 in September. So I, would, I wouldn't be surprised if we're going to see a 0.8 in the near future. I'm not sure what that would specifically bring, though. I haven't. I haven't seen any articles on it. Okay. So so any support uh, for the upcoming version of Vue, like the Vue 3, is there a like, coming support of Gridsome for that you know, coming version? I am sure they are, are working on it and planning for it. I haven't seen anything specifically talking about that, though. One of the points about Gridsome is because it is a newer framework on top of Vue, it doesn't have as many articles explaining some of the more in-depth bits about it. It's more, hey, there's this thing. It's called Gridsome. It's cool. So there's less news about it than, for example, Nuxt. I'm sure there's articles about Nuxt getting ready to support Vue 3. But looking up something for Gridsome is no more challenging on Google just because it's so much newer. Just, you know, a wondering, uh, yeah, because the uh, composition API in, in Vue was like getting, uh, getting popular each week, uh, I can see like you know developers uploading on uh, YouTube of their uh, you know tutorials of composition API in Vue. So yeah, just wondering you know for good some. Yeah, and like I said, I'm sure they're getting ready for it. Um, they just haven't been as vocal about it as other frameworks. 
Yeah, I'm sure that if you wanted to use the composition API, you could behind that plugin that's available in the same way that you would use the composition API today. I'd be I'd be kind of surprised if they shipped a version that just includes U3 immediately after the announcement of U3. Yeah. Yeah, it depends on how proactive they're being because a lot of parts of U3 are settling out or have settled out. And so they could build in support for those while they're waiting to see what the where the rest of it goes. And then they could just make some small final adjustments and have it out a week later. But, you know, where this looks like it's something that people are building in their spare time, it's not backed by a company and things like that. It really just depends on how they're managing their roadmap and what it looks like. But even still, I mean, if they if they bring it out a few weeks to a month after View 3 comes out, you know, that's something that I'd be happy with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I mean, I'll probably try just installing View 3 and seeing what, what doesn't, uh, just to see if it does work without them having to release anything. Yeah, well, View 3 is going to be backwards compatible, so theoretically, it should work. Yeah, exactly. I don't know if yeah. they're going to... The question, I think, is whether they would surface any of the new API features like to the user, right, to the developer. Otherwise, you still have the option to install the Composition API plugin today. Yeah, well, and if it's 100% backwards compatible, then I don't see why they wouldn't just, you know, with whatever features they were planning on releasing, they just release, and the other feature is, is it has View 3, it's just not got all the new features enabled in it yet. And that way they can take it one step at a time and okay, now you can do this with it. Okay, now you can do that with it instead of waiting for the, you know, the full support to come in. Yeah. So I have another question for Lindsay. It looks like Gridsum kind of does the same thing that Nux does with routing. It has the router baked in and the routes are based on, you know, more of a traditional web server, like directory structure, which is nice. Like what's the sort of global state management look like? It looks like, you know, I did this quick search in the docs that mentions Vuex and they talk about this like app options thing that you can use Vuex. I don't know, kind of weird. I didn't really understand that, but I also know that they use, or they use GraphQL. So is there some sort of like using Apollo client for caching layer or, or what's going on there? You're talking just for like, because you mentioned Vuex, you're just talking about storing data globally as you're going through the application, right? Yeah, like I don't know if you have any insight into what is the most like pragmatic approach from a, a grid sum perspective. Are you reaching for Vuex and is that easy? Are you reaching for something like Apollo client or, or is that not even, you know, is there something else? I personally would prefer jumping to Vuex. I haven't used Apollo client in Vue yet, played with it mostly in React and Svelte. So I would, I would reach for Vuex and just store everything that way. And just looking at it, it looks fairly simple to just insert into the application. One of the things that they do is with their configuration files, you're exporting a thing and one of the, or you're exporting a function, sorry. And one of the inputs to that is your view instance that Gridsum is using to instantiate the application. So it's very easy to break up the application into bits and, for example, do view.use, viewx to get everything started. Cool. Any other questions? Do you have a way to add an hour to my day so I can go play with this too? There's a plugin for that. No. <laughs> <laughs> Gridsome source extra hour. I wish. Oh, man. Um, I wish. It's pretty great. I've been enjoying it. I started switching my website over in October, November, and I've been building out another website on the side for the doctor's clinic that I mentioned earlier. It's been a great experience. I've been very happy. 
you could probably jump on a really fast plane and get to Hawaii and then uh, that'll get you back a couple hours. <laughs> oh, there we go. <laughs> plus you're in Hawaii. And for, also, uh, I was going to say, if Hawaii, I wind up in Hawaii, I'm going to lose time because I'm not going to be working on stuff like this. Just take your laptop out to the beach. and we'll get There we go. Honey, I'm yeah. working. I promise. Definitely, <laughs> definitely don't carry on to New Zealand because you'll end up losing a day. <laughs> I'll lose a whole day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But then I gain a day when I get back, come back. That's true. Trade-offs. All right. Well, yeah. Anything else we should hit before we do picks? Is it hard to debug or is it is the debugging more or less like debugging view? Debugging is just like debugging view. I haven't run into any specific issues with debugging. I did notice because I have autosave set up, occasionally it would hiccup as it was refre- refreshing the application and it would forget my GraphQL API. So mm-hmm. occasionally I would get an error while I was working on the post template saying uh, post does not exist, but I just saved the file again and it worked. So I suspect if you don't have autosave turned on, you'll be fine. And if you do have autosave, save it again manually and it should fix the issue. Gotcha. Besides that, I didn't run into any any major issues while I was doing developing. Cool. Any resources you recommend besides the doc to get into Gridsum? Unfortunately not. I did some looking. I couldn't find anything specific. Most of what I used to learn Gridsum was starting with Gatsby and taking the knowledge that I had of Gatsby and applying it to Gridsum. So if you want to go through the Gridsum docs to get started, that's a great place. If you feel like exploring React at the same time, you could look at any Gatsby resources and guides and then come to Gridsum with that knowledge and you should be fine. They work very much the same, just slightly different syntax on things. Yeah, that's one other thing that I'm just kind of thinking here is that I'm running into some limitations with Levendy. And I wonder if with the plugin system, because I've thought about switching to Gatsby as well, but with the plugin system and the way that that all works, and then the fact that all the includes and everything else seem to play nicely the way that you would expect with a view app, I'm wondering if I might be better off switching it over. And since it, it'll allow me to keep using forestry, which is what we use for our CMS, and you know, kind of the Git repository, right? I don't have to hook it up to an API. I can just use the markdown files I already have. I'm kind of thinking that I might get a little bit further ahead by doing something like this this way. And then I would have to change my uh, build command and things like that. Yeah, that, that makes sense to me. There's one thing that we didn't cover that's like a super cool feature. Both Gatsby and Gridsum have it, which is their um, progressive images. That's I haven't true. got we to didn't talk about that. Yeah, and that's like, I mean, super hotness. Uh, I'll let you. I'll let you get more into it. I haven't been able to play with it too much, but it's like a super cool thing. So actually, in Gridsum, it's even easier than in Gatsby. In Gatsby, you have to bring in that image file through the GraphQL API and define things as you're bringing it in. And with Gridsum, you can just point in an image and it'll do it for you. So they have a built-in component to do optimized progressive images, and it's just g-image. And besides that, it works just like an image you would expect, but it has a couple other values, like setting a width or a height or something. So can you clarify real quick what a progressive image is? That's when it comes in kind of blurry, and then once the full image loads, it replaces the blurry version. So the, the benefit of that is it's not like where you've got an empty space and all of a sudden it jumps and screws up the rest of the page when, when it's fully loaded? Right. And it also provides a better experience. Let's say it didn't even just jump. It, the spacing was already set in your uh, CSS, but you could have it where it slow loads and just goes row by row in the pixels. So this way it, it presents something to the user. They know there's an image there. It kind of looks like this. 
And then once the full image is loaded, it, it replaces the blurry version. Mm. That's kind of nifty. Hmm? I saw this, I don't know, a long time ago when I was building out the utensils and I was like, that is so cool. I'm going to build something like that. And so it's like uh, this concept of uh, like lazy image loading, right? You load a tiny version of the image first. And then when the user scroll or the, when the image scrolls into view, then you go and make an HTTP request and get the, get the full size image and you load it. And I got that working in utensils pretty well. And I'm, I'm actually really proud of that component. But because utensils is not like a, it's not a static site generator. There's a big advantage that tools like Gridsum or Gatsby have in that at build time, they know all of the information of the image and where that image is going to be rendered. So like what width and height the size of that image is going to be. So it can take the original image and it can pass it through a processor that will crop it or shrink it or, you know, get it down to the size that it should be So like resize it. And then the final build will actually, well, it'll take two versions, right? It'll make, it'll take the original image, make a tiny version of it. That's going to be the one that is blurred out by default. And then it makes perfectly sized image, which is the one that's going to be loaded in when you scroll down to that image. So it, it definitely has the advantage over my version because it knows ahead of time, the size of the image. And so it can, like process it on build time to be perfectly optimized for like the best, the fastest loading version. And it's really cool. I'm just going off on a, going off on a thing there. <laughs> that, that is really interesting. I'm curious, Lindsay, when you mentioned that it builds a small version of that image, does that end up getting built into the static HTML, like as a data URI, something like that? I'm not sure how it gets built in the end, but yes, it does get built and sent as one of the final bits of the... Uh, the final application. Okay, cool. Yeah, my guess is it's prob- it probably is a data URI. And that's another advantage of like with utensils, I can't do that. <laughs> like I'm working on the client side only. I don't know anything about your project. You have to provide the image to me or whatever it's going to be. So yeah, I'm looking at this too. I just looked through the list of plugins and one of the things that got painful for me was that on devchat.tv, I was using Algolia to do the search. And we went way over indexing into Algolia is a royal pain unless you're an open source project and then you can use their indexer for free. They have an open source version, but it's terrible. Then you have to pay for all of the insertions into the index and you have to pay for every search that goes across the index. Whereas it's, they've got a plugin for Flex Search, which is a JavaScript based index. And yeah, it, it looks like this is really nice and it just sticks it in by default so then you just you just add the component to your page and you're off to the races so i'm i may actually look at switching just to get my hands on some of these another one was they had one for a sitemap and i had to build my own sitemap template for 11 because they didn't have anything for it and just stuff like that where it seems like it would make some of this stuff really really simple and then i'm also wondering with the image stuff if there's like a plug-in for something like Cloudinary or Imagix or something that, you know, it can check and see, okay, I've got this image in Cloudinary. It's all been resized. And then you can tell it which size of which thing to pull in when you're loading it into your page. So I do see a plug-in that uh, says it supports Cloudinary. See, it's stuff like that or generate the robots.txt for your site, just stuff like that, where in some of the other ones, it, it seems like you have to figure it out yourself and code all the stuff in yourself. And I mean, you mentioned like Google Analytics and things. 
not a big problem for me in the sense that, you know, I can just copy and paste that JavaScript tag, right? And I can just stick it in myself. But yeah, some of these others are just things that I don't really want to have to build on my own. On the note of uh, Google Analytics, you don't have a root index file to insert the JavaScript into necessarily. There is a way to do it, but it's much simpler to use the plugin and just provide it with your analytics credentials. Yeah, I just have a base template in 11D and it builds everything off of that. But the other thing I'm looking at is I'd like to start putting up some documentation pages for different systems. You know, so just kind of do like explainer walkthroughs or things like that for JavaScript, but not in a blog post form, more of a documentation form that kind of walks people through concepts and ideas. And, you know, if you read through enough of them, you get the basics. And so I've been looking at ViewPress for that. And so if I'm going to use ViewPress for that and maybe grid some for the rest of the website, I can kind of keep my thought processes in ViewLand. So I'm also kind of playing with ideas around this. So this is really interesting to me. For, for those reasons. Another plugin that looks interesting, I haven't used it myself, is a, calls itself plugin critical. So it says it extracts an inline's critical path CSS that would appear above the fold just to make that those styles render faster. Mm, so Nice. So there's, there's a few interesting things in here that I still want to play with as well. Hey, Lindsay, you mentioned that there's no way, like you don't have an index.html file. So I'm wondering how do you... One thing that I like to do is have SVG icon definitions, like an icon library in my HTML that's just rendered onto the page. And then I can reference it using the SVG, like use href or something like that. How would I accomplish that sort of thing? Like, let's say, I don't know, I have, yeah, Google Analytics that I want to put on. Do I have to put it into like every view component or every page? I use Font Awesome in one of my Gridsome applications. Yeah. And what I am doing there, so you still have a main.js file. And in my case, I'm just importing the icons that I need in there. So just like a regular view CLI application, I, there, you have a main.js. Uh, right, but those are, so those are going to be resources like CSS files, right? Or font files. Yes, and, but, and in my case, that's where my, my font awesome stuff goes. So I see what you're saying. Yeah, like if I want to put the output on the actual into the body. I don't know if you've ever done like a, an SVG icon library where you use a definition and then you can reference an SVG anywhere on the page via ID. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm trying to accomplish. So it's not like an external resource that I link to like a font or a, or a CSS file. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure myself. I do see that there is an SVG plugin in the Gridson list. I don't know if that's exactly what you'd be looking for. My instinct would be if I was doing it and that didn't work, to look at using either the server or the client configuration files and bringing in the, mm. the assets you need that way. Mm. Um, otherwise, you, yeah, it would have to be in the component specifically. Okay. You think you can actually like edit the HTML output that wraps the pages somewhere? Yeah, so for example, I am looking at the main.js file that I'm for this one, and I needed mm-hmm. to add Google, the Google fonts. And so there was a method... there it gives me an object to access the head for the page. And I was able to add a head.link and then say it's a style sheet and this is the URL. I would imagine there's a way to do that for other things such as SVGs as needed into the HTML document. Cool. I'll have to look into that. Lindsay, uh, what made you to choose uh, read some over ViewPress? 
Primarily, I looked to grid some over ViewPress because I had started with Gatsby and I liked the GraphQL API as a way to centralize all of the information I was using. When I first started rewriting my website, I started with a WordPress and I didn't want to lose all of those posts. So I first tried incorporating the Gatsby call to WordPress and see if that would meet my needs. I decided it didn't and I shut down the WordPress. But at that point, I'd already started building the website out in Gatsby. So when I wanted to switch from React to Vue, for my personal website, I went mm-hmm. straight to get Gridsome instead. But you didn't bother looking uh, what's inside of ViewPress, or is it, you know? I did not look too closely at ViewPress mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. Lindsay, do you know, I know that Gatsby has had some pretty interesting plans on the roadmap, including things like themes and what is it, like differential build? It only builds the things that are affected by your latest changes. Yeah. Do you know, has there been any news uh, on the Gridsome side as far as implementing things like themes or differential builds? I haven't seen anything about those yet, no. Well, fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I started switching my website before themes was officially released, so it wasn't something that I was reliant on. All right, cool. Hey, folks, this is Charles Maxwood, and I just launched my book, The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. It's up on Amazon. We self-published it. I would love your support. If you want to go check it out, you can find it there. The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. Have a good one. Max out. Well, I'm going to push us to picks because we are at the end of our time. Devlin, do you want to start us off with picks this week? Oh, yeah. I have one here. My pick is Optotree. If you haven't have Optotree on your uh, Google Chrome extension, you should have one. It's definitely going to improve your productivity while scrolling on your in any GitHub repository because it helps you navigate, you know, easily in your GitHub repository code. It has um, syntax themes. You can, you know, you can choose Monokai, Dart theme. It will change uh, the entire uh, GitHub page, everything. Um, yeah, you can also bookmark uh, repos and PR. So definitely, yeah, uh, after try, I highly recommend that for developers. Nice. Steve, do you have some picks for us? Uh, yeah, I'll repeat one I did on uh, JavaScript Jabber. So I'm pretty athletic. I'm usually at the gym just about every day. And so finding a bag to carry on my gear has always been fun. So a buddy of mine told me about uh, this bag. It's called the King Kong bag. It's made by a company called King Kong Apparel. And uh, it's pretty nice in terms of you know how it's arranged with pockets and so on. It's called King Kong. All their stuff is because it's really strong I mean, really durable nylon and zippers and and stuff like that it has like a 25 year uh, warranty for you know defects in the bag and i've seen stories about you know this broke and they'll send you a replacement really easy it's a little spendier you know mine was uh, i think it was 109 on sale and i have like the middle sized bag but it's a bag that's going to last you forever you know so you're not going to have to be in buying replacements so it's a little cost up front for a really nice bag and a lot of uh a lot of durability. But uh, yeah, this, those King Kong bags are really nice. Nice. Lindsay, what are your picks? My pick is a video game that I just learned about a couple weeks ago called Magic Legends. It is Magic the Gathering being turned into an MMO, and they just released a couple snippets of gameplay footage today or yesterday. And... It's looking pretty cool. It looks like you are building a deck of cards still, just like Magic the Gathering would normally use. But it's an action MMO. So it looks kind of interesting. 
I'm very much following this right now. I've been playing Magic the Gathering since 2001. Nice. Austin, do you have some picks for us? You know I got picks. This week, I am going to pick Utility or Functional CSS. I got into using Tailwind a while back. Uh, it's a really good library by Adam Latham. You basically have like a class that each class has one CSS rule that it's responsible for. And you can add, so you can compose a bunch of components into a bunch of classes into a component based on what you need. Yeah, Tailwind is really excellent. I'm also kind of going to shamelessly plug Particle CSS. It's the same sort of thing that I'm working on, but there's some changes that I didn't like in Tailwind. So I decided to, to work on my own. And I'll add some links in the show notes. And the last thing is there's this little like very affordable knife sharpener that I've had for a long time. And I decided to get it for my family for like little stocking stuffers. I think it's like $4 on Amazon, probably even cheaper on eBay. And I'll just put a link in the show notes, but you basically, it's got like a carbide side and then a, a ceramic side. And you just run your knife through there a few times each side. And it's like having a brand new knife. And I love it. If you ever do any cooking, it's great. I'll need to look at that one. Yep. All right, Dean, what are your picks? So I'm going to pick a tool I've been using for a couple of years now. It's called Toggle. And it's a time tracking app. And they have a very generous free plan, which lets you up to five team members. But as a freelancer, I always find myself questioning what I got up to on a day. Like every now and then I'll, be, I'll, I'll have done a whole bunch of work and I'm like, what did I actually achieve today? And I after using Toggle, the one really nice thing is it's got desktop apps that actually remind you to track your time. And it basically bugs you if you're not tracking something. If you leave your computer idle, it'll actually pop up and say, hey, you've been idle. Do you want to actually keep the time? Because you might have been reading a a website to like get some learning. So it is obviously time that's tracked, but that kind of handles if you forget to stop it going to lunch and that kind of stuff. And it's just been so valuable to me to just make sure I'm on target and keeping myself accountable, uh, especially because I am a freelancer and I don't always work with a group of people. I find it a little bit harder to really keep myself on track. So it's been incredibly valuable. Nice. Yeah, I've used Toggle and basically I just used it to get a view into how I spend my time. And so I just made sure that I was very deliberate about any time I switched doing anything. And then it was like, oh, I waste a ton of time on Twitter or I spend a lot of time on this thing that is important, but I'm not spending enough time on this other thing that's more important. Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing when you actually get that insight into what you're doing. It helps you make some pretty good habits. Yeah, or I thought I was working, this was another one that I had, because I do it probably every six months or something, I'll use Toggle and just track everything. Oh, I thought I was working like 80 hours a week and I'm only working, you know, 40 or 30 is like, you know, or I'm only productive 30 hours a week or something like that. So, yeah, that's usually the case. It's the productive hours that (laughs) are the issue. Yep. I've got a couple of picks. Both of them are entertainment. The first one is a book series that I've been listening to. I don't remember if it was on this show or a different show, but somebody picked The Apprentice Books by Raymond E. Feist. Yeah, that was me. Yeah, so I uh, I picked up the uh, Magician Apprentice on Audible, and I listened to him or I read him when I was like twelve or something. And of course, I don't remember any anything about anything from it. I've been listening to that first book, and I'm really enjoying it. So 
yeah, if you're looking for some books, I guess I'll just plus one Dean's pick from last week or whenever he picked it. The other pick is a TV series on Amazon Prime that I've been watching. I think they're in their last season. And but anyway, I just got into it. So I'm still in the middle of the first season. It's called The Man the Man in the High Castle. And it takes place in the 1960s after the Nazis and the Japanese uh, imperial forces have won World War II. And I'm really, really enjoying it. You know, you kind of follow these people who are in the resistance and these people that are in the the two governments, the German government and the Japanese government. So far, I, you haven't seen the emperor and you haven't seen, you know, Hitler or Goebbels or any of them. It's all based here in the, in what used to be the United States. You know, so you only see, you know, the characters that visit the Pacific states or the, I can't remember what the Germans call the East Coast where they're controlling things. But anyway, it's fascinating. And it's interesting to me to see how they kind of extrapolate where they think things might have ended up, you know, and, and going back through some of the things that they're talking about, you know, because they talk about like FDR being assassinated or, they have VA day instead of VE day and just stuff like that. So anyway, it's, it's really, really interesting to watch these folks, you know, they kind of get drawn into this and wind up fighting back. So yeah, I'm going to pick that. And I think that's pretty much it. So thank you all for coming. And uh, thank you, Lindsay, for providing us with the expertise on this. We may wait a few months and then see if we can get somebody from the grid, some team to come on and talk about, you know, where this goes from here and how it got pulled together. But I'm severely tempted to go and play with it. So I'm glad I could uh, provide some information about it. Yep. All right, folks, so we're going to go ahead and wrap this one up. And until next week, Max out. Bye. See ya. See ya. Bye. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C A C H E F L Y dot com to learn more.